want to uh, remind you that today is Flag Day. So as we celebrate our country, we celebrate our nation, uh, reminded just of what our flag stands for, just a reminder of the freedoms that we have, and us being gathered here this morning is one of those reminders of the, of the freedoms we have. Uh, there will be a youth group virtual pajama party tonight. So uh, if you have received your text message from John about the virtual pajama party, you already know all about it, but I hear there's some ice cream in store if you participate, or the possibility of ice cream, so uh, make sure you make note of that. Uh, what time will that video be posted, John? By 10.30 this morning, it'll be posted, so you can watch that this morning. Uh, do, do Our uh, missionaries of the week this week are Paul and Cindy Spots, John and Amy Rodifer, and Dave Kowicki, so be in prayer for them with RBM and their ministry. Uh, with all of the COVID shutdown and everything, they're kind of having some interesting discussions that are going on. There's a number of vacation Bible schools that won't be happening this summer uh, because of the COVID shutdown, so that's a little bit different. And then next year, as the next school year begins, there's going to be some things that are going to take place there as well uh, in regards to how the school year unfolds. So just be in prayer for our RBM missionaries. God would give them wisdom and guidance and direction. Uh, the Care Pregnancy Center, we want to remember them. If you haven't participated in the virtual bottle drive yet, I just encourage you to do that. Uh, they are anticipating or their desire is for $50,000 to come in through this bottle drive. So far as of the first part of June, they have about $12,500 that come in. So they're a little bit behind where they normally would like to be, a little bit behind where they want to be. Uh, so just be in prayer for the Care Pregnancy Center and remember them in their bottle drive. I do want to uh, just pass on a couple of uh, praises and a couple of prayer requests as we begin this morning. Uh, Alex and Dana uh, had their baby girl. Uh, Leah, Leah was born on Wednesday. I've uh, been given Dana grief about is today the day, is today the day, and finally it was the day on Wednesday. Uh, also Don and Carol, uh, they welcomed in a new great-granddaughter uh, that was, she arrived, and so uh, just continue to be in prayer for uh, those little ones and, and grateful for those little ones. Uh, John has come out of the hospital. John Mowry was out of the hospital, uh, but he was able to go back in, so he's had a couple of those visits back and forth. Still quite a bit of pain. They think it's some kind of infection under the stomach lining. Uh, not sure just how that's going to progress, but so far it's been progressing rather slowly. So remember him. Uh, Paul Hike is doing great uh, as he's recovering from his procedure. Things are progressing and he's doing well. Uh, all of the ducks are in the field now. They're not in line yet, but all of the ducks are in the field. So he is doing well there. I uh, do want to just invite you to be in prayer uh, for the Carpenter family. Family. Uh, Ron Carpenter's younger brother passed away, uh, and so we want to be in prayer for them. And uh, the service is going to be tomorrow over at Canandaigua Community Church, uh, so just be in prayer for the Carpenter family. Uh, Dana Schoonover, uh, her brother passed away this last week, and the funeral was on Friday. Uh, so remember Dana and pray for Dana. And also want to remember the Variki family. Uh, some of you noticed that George Variki passed away yesterday. Uh, he's been battling uh, illness, I guess about a year ago is when he fell, and his health has just kind of uh, been in turmoil since then, but he passed away yesterday. Uh, that's going to be just a family-only funeral, uh, but just be in prayer for the Variki family as well.
As we begin uh, this morning, uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day that you've given to us, and we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we have to, to be able to gather together today and to worship you. And we do pray that your anointing would be upon us this morning, and we pray that in our time together that you and you alone would be glorified. We do thank you for the Care Pregnancy Center and that ministry. We do thank of the funds that have come in, Lord. We thank you for the way you're providing there, and we pray, Lord, for their budget as they continue to seek to meet that amount that needs to come in. In. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless and guide and direct, and we pray that that would work well, and Lord, the funds that they need would come in. We pray for Paul and Cindy and John and Amy and Dave Kowicki, all with RBM, as they make plans for this summer and make plans for the school year next year. We do pray, Lord, that everything would be back to normal by the time school starts so that ministry can carry on and they can continue ministering to the young people, Father, that they have the opportunity to. So just guide and direct with that, Lord, and we do just pray special blessings upon them, and Lord, we know that a number of churches uh, not being able to meet, have not met their, been able to meet their financial needs as far as mission support, and uh, maybe some of these missionaries are experiencing that, uh, that low support level, so we do just pray, Lord, that you'd meet their financial needs, guide them, and direct them. We do thank you for Alex and Dana's new little one, and we thank you for Don and Carol's new little one, and we just pray that you'd be ministering to them, uh, be with their family. Lord, that these little ones would be raised in a way that they would bring glory and honor to you. And as they grow, Father, and as you prepare their hearts and the soil of their hearts, we pray that these little ones would come to know your son Jesus one day as Lord and Savior. We do pray for John and, and thank you, Lord, for watching over him. And we just pray for his recovery. Give him the strength that he needs to recover. We do thank you for Paul and how well he's doing. And we just pray for continued recovery there. So just minister to him. We do think of the Carpenter family and the Schoonover family and the Variki family this morning and ask that you administer to these families. And we do pray, Lord, this would be an opportunity for them to look to to your son and draw near to your son and so lord we pray special blessings upon them and lord we do just ask father that in these families there are some who don't know your son we do pray lord that through these the passing of these loved ones that there would be a reminder lord that of the reality of death the reality of their need for your son we do lift our nation to you this morning, Father. We thank you for the nation that we have. Thank you for the freedoms that we have in our nation. And we do just pray, Lord, that our nation would turn to you as we look at all that's going on within our nation. Uh, Lord, just the, the rebellion and the, and the turning away from you, Father, we pray that there would be a turning to you. We pray, Lord, that you'd touch our nation and, and touch our leaders, Father, that there would just be a turning to you. Father, we're grateful for our heritage, grateful for all that we have because of our heritage. And Lord, we are especially grateful today for your son, Jesus Christ, and just all that we have because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. 
I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, it's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, how can it be, that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, it's my joy to honor you in all I do, I honor you. You are my you are my King. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor all I do, I honor you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. When years of time have passed away, an earthly throne and kingdoms fall. When men who hear refuse to pray on rocks.
rocks and hills and mountains calm. God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong. Redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. O love of God, a rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quail and every man a scribe by trade? Write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Think about his love, think about his goodness, think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Thank you. you may be seated. Uh, 16, I think it was, at a Toledo Walleyes hockey game, uh, Jim Everson sang the national anthem. How many of you guys know who Jim Everson is? That's kind of what I thought. Uh, 
Jim Everson sings the Star Spangled Banner, and when you see him begin, you think that something's strange. He has a headset on, just as I do. He has a canvas that's behind him, and he has a table beside him with all kinds of paintbrushes and paints. And as he begins singing, the canvas, uh, sometimes there's a cover over the canvas, sometimes it's just a blank canvas. When he sang for the Toledo Walleye game, uh, it was just a canvas with some with kind of looked like a mountain scene that was kind of uh, dark in the, the sky was kind of dark and it was kind of a mountain scene. And as he began to sing the Star Spangled Banner, he would take paintbrushes and make just little marks on it and kind of color in squares and add different colors to it. And he put a little blue square there and dipped his fingers in paint and kind of touched the square. Uh, he took a paintbrush and got some red on it and kind of went like this and made some lines with the red. And uh, you look at it and you just think, man, what is this where's this guy going? And the entire time he's doing this, he's singing the Star Spangled Banner. And then as he gets to the end of it, he grabs the canvas and he turns the canvas right side up and he grabs this trowel that has red and white paint on it and he takes that trowel and wipes it across that canvas and then it all comes into view. He painted a painting of the Marines at Iwo Jima straightening up the flag and it doesn't come together until the very end. And when he puts the flag on there, you realize and your mind recognizes what it is. And of course, being right side up helps as well. But it's an amazing thing. It will be on Facebook this afternoon. I didn't want to ruin the story, let you see it before. But it will be there today so you can see it. But you know, it wasn't until he flipped that before you saw and recognized what it was all about. This morning, our journey through Genesis continues, and this morning we find ourselves in Genesis 37, verses 25 through 26. And as we come to this passage this morning, we see Joseph moving from the pit where we left him last time right into slavery. We would think as he was going through the pit that, that if he was chosen by God, if God had a plan, the pit would be all he would experience. But he goes from the pit right into slavery. And as we look at this instance of Joseph being in slavery, we can't help but think about how heartless his brothers are. But through it all, we can't help but be reminded that God doesn't abandon Joseph at all. Through the entire thing, from the pit into slavery, God is with Joseph the entire time. So this morning as we delve into this passage, there are two things that we're going to look at. The first thing we see is the cruel deal, and the second thing we see is the cover-up deception. Before we dive into this, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to open your word and to look into your word. And Father, as we do that this morning, we pray that your word would be open to us, that we would hear from you this morning, that you would speak to our souls this morning through your word. And Father, I pray that as we leave this morning, we'll be able to say that we've truly heard 
from you. So take my mind and my heart and my tongue, Lord God. Allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, Lord, but certainly nothing less either. Father, we're thankful for your Son, and it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as we begin this morning, we want to look, first of all, at the cruel deal that takes place. Look at verse 25 with me. It says, then they sat down to eat. Now, we are right in the middle of this whole section here, and so it's important that we take a second and kind of look at the context of what's happening here in this verse. Uh, as we look at this, as we left off last time, we saw Jacob send his favorite son, Joseph, to Shechem to go and check on the other boys because they were taking care of the sheep, of the herds. They were there making sure the, the herds had plenty of pasture. And so Joseph went out looking for them in Shechem. He got to Shechem. He didn't find them. He met a stranger there. And the stranger told him to go to Dothan and look there in Dothan. That's where he thought the brothers were. So Joseph headed towards Dothan. And as Joseph's brothers saw him coming, we read and see how much they hated Joseph. It, as we look through chapter 37 of Genesis, it's well documented just how much they hated Joseph. And when they saw Joseph coming, they began plotting, making plans to kill him. And as they were making those plans, Reuben, the oldest son, stepped in and told them not to kill Joseph, but instead of killing Joseph, throw him into the pit. Reuben had a plan that he would come back later and rescue Joseph, but this was his way of stepping in and trying to get them to leave Joseph alone and spare Joseph's life. So the brothers grabbed Joseph, they threw him into a dry cistern. And he was stuck there in this cistern. And as they are thinking about this, their plan was to leave him in there, let him die of dehydration, let him die of starvation, and they would just leave him in the pit and be done with him. That was their desire. Now, we read that he was thrown into the pit. And then we read in verse 25, then they sat down to eat. I don't know about you, but to cast your brother into a pit to leave him to die, the death of starvation. This kind of seems like a, a barbaric kind of thing to do, to sit down and feed your faces while your own brother is trapped, planning on him to starve to death. But that's what they do. And as we look at this, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It seems like it was a quiet, peaceful picnic-type setting. But as we move forward, as we get forward in the future, we see that this was a little bit more of a haunting event than what Moses shares with us here. In Genesis 42, verse 21, when all of this comes to a head, when Joseph is in Egypt and they are there before Joseph and they're, they're facing difficulties, we read this. They said to one another, in truth, we're guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. He begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. At this moment, when they throw Joseph in, Joseph is begging for his life. 
Joseph is in distress. They see that, but yet they throw him into the pit and they sit down and they eat lunch. It doesn't seem here that their conscience is bothering him at all. Later on it will, but it seems like here it's not bothering them at all. That is really rough when you put that in that kind of perspective. But you know, as we think about it, as we think about these brothers not really caring for Joseph, we see this picture of human cruelty that's taking place. We see this picture of human indifference taking place. All of it brought upon them by his brothers. In the future, Joseph has an opportunity to take vengeance for this. Joseph has an opportunity where he could get even for this. And instead, we read this in Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph knew that God's hand was in this. And instead of carrying vengeance, instead of carrying bitterness, instead of carrying anger all of those years, he knew that God's hand was in the midst of this. I can imagine Joseph being in that pit, and I can imagine him praying. I can imagine him calling out to God, seeking to be rescued, seeking to be saved. But we don't see that. Look at verse 25. Looking up, they, the brothers, saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, gum, balm, and mire, and their way, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. So while they're eating, this caravan approaches. This caravan of Ishmaelites is on their way to Egypt. And we talked last time about how God had directed them to go from Shechem to Dothan, and where Dothan was on the main trade route of Egypt. So as they're there partaking of their lunch, uh, they're near the main trade route that goes to Egypt, here comes a caravan of Ishmaelites, and they are on their way to Egypt following the Egyptian trade route as they go. And we read here that they're coming from Gilead. It says, in looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Now this caravan is traveling from Gilead. Gilead was a region that was east of the Jordan River. So they've come across the Jordan River and now they're making their way down through Israel, through the Promised Land, and they're going towards Egypt. And we notice what they have. They have gum, they bearing gum, gum balm, and 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 myrrh. Now, you've heard about the balm of Gilead, right? Have you ever heard of the balm of Gilead? That's what they're carrying, the balm of Gilead. It was a perfume that was used for medicinal purposes, and even today it's a figure of speech for something that, that can cure everything. It's the balm of, of Gilead, kind of like WD-40. That's the balm of Gilead, right? Have you ever noticed all of the things that you can use WD-40 for? Uh, I hear that if you spray it on glass, uh, the glass windows in your 
uh, shower, if you have a glass shower stall, spray WD-40 on it, wipe it down, you won't have those white water spots. I don't know, amazing thing. Works for mouthwash too, but that's a different story. <laughs> I did hear that it's good for shower stalls, so you can try that at home and you can report back next week. So here we have this caravan. And notice this is a caravan of Ishmaelites that are coming as they make this journey. Ishmaelites were the descenders, the, the, the descendants of Ishmael. And Judah, as they come, as they see them coming, as the caravan approaches their, their lunch station, they see the caravan coming, and we see Judah speak up. It says this in verse 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. So Joseph said, there's no need for us to kill him. Instead, let's just sell him. And notice what Joseph or what, what uh, Judah says here. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites in verse 27. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. <laughs> Isn't that love? Let's not kill him because he's our brother. Let's just sell him as a slave. Uh, it's crazy that he would word it that way, that he would phrase it that way. But that's what they decide to do is instead of killing him, they're going to sell him into slavery because he's our brother. So let's do that instead. Boy, I talked last time about, you think about the hatred that your family has. Uh, and I know sometimes my brothers were, my brother and sisters were bitter and angry with me, but I can't imagine them trying to sell me. Uh, probably wouldn't have got much of a price anyway, but as we look at it, Joseph doesn't get much of a price either. But that's what they do. They decide to sell them. Now notice verse 28. It says, Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, and they lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Midian, the Midianites, Midian was the son of Abraham. That is, the, and he was from the concubine, from Abraham's concubine, Keturah. And so, as we look at this, it's, this could be two different groups. The Midianites and the Ishmaelites could be two different groups taking place here. It could be Midianites and the Ishmaelites all in the same group. Or it may just be two separate groups as we look at it. It's kind of hard as we look at it and try to see how it's laid out here, just who they're talking about. The Midianites and the Ishmaelites were two different groups of people, for sure. But it seems like there may be one group here as they're traveling, and both of them are mentioned. But as we look at this, it appears that the Midianites went and lifted Joseph out of the pit. So Joseph's brothers don't really want to see him face to face as they lift him out of the pit, but they tell the Midianites that's where he is, and they go lift Joseph out of the pits. And they purchase Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Now think about this for a moment. 20 shekels of silver. There are 10 brothers. Benjamin is at home. Joseph is the one being sold, so neither one of them would get a cut. That leaves 10 brothers. 
10 divided by 20, carry the 7, add the 14, make your four circles. They get two shekels apiece. Woo! That's big money, right? Two shekels apiece. I don't know how much a shekel is worth. I saw different recordings about how much a shekel is worth, so I can't really tell you how much a shekel would be worth in today's day and age. But two shekels doesn't seem like a lot. I don't think the shekel is worth a million dollars a piece. Uh, I don't even think it's $100,000 a piece. Two shekels would not be very much to sell your brother into slavery. As you look at this and put yourself in Joseph's sandals, I'm sure while he was in the pit, he was thinking that that was the end. And I'm sure as Joseph was in the pit, he was thinking it can't get much worse than this. I mean, here I am in the pit. Uh, we've often heard that when you're in the pits, everything is up. That's where Joseph's at. He's in the pit. Everything else is up. But he goes from being in the pit to being sold into slavery. All of this took place from his brothers. Now, remember the dreams that Joseph had. I wonder if any time during the pit time, if he thought about those dreams. Hey, it doesn't matter what you guys do to me, throwing me in the pit, because one day you'll have to look up to me. When I was a kid, my uncle used to pick on me all the time. I, he's about nine years older than me, so I'm like that annoying little brother that was always there. You know, They didn't let me go on dates with them, but if grandma would have made them, they would have. So they used to pick on me all the time as a little kid. And uh, I told my uncle one time, I said, you know what? You can pick on me now, but one day you will look up to me. Because he's only like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, <laughs> so I knew I would be taller than him one day. And it's true. He has to look up to me now. And I wondered if Joseph was thinking that when he was in the pit. Hey, remember those dreams? One day you guys will be looking up to me. One day you'll be bowing down to me. I don't know if he did. It doesn't say that he held on to those dreams. Sometimes when we're in the pits of life, we forget about the promises of God, don't we? It's not just Joseph that has an opportunity to forget. Sometimes when we're in the pits, we forget. But sometimes when we're in the pits, we're thinking, you know what? It can't get any worse than this, Lord. This is where I'm at. This is the bottom. I'm only coming up. Joseph comes up out of the pit, and he goes right into slavery. That's where he's at. Now look at verse 29. Reuben makes a discovery. It says in verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes. So evidently some time has passed since they sold Joseph into slavery. Maybe Reuben went out to check on the herd after Joseph was cast in the pit. And Reuben had a plan. Reuben was going to come, and he was going to rescue Joseph. Look up just a little bit there to Genesis 37, verse 22. It says this in verse 22. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So everyone must have cleared out. Reuben comes back to where the pit was, where Joseph was. And everybody's cleared out. And now his plan is that he's going to now rescue Joseph. 
and he's going to show Joseph back to father, and everything's going to be peachy pooching with Joseph. All right? Joseph's life is going to be spared. That's his plan. But as he comes, Joseph was gone. Joseph is not there. And so Reuben tears his clothes. He tears his garments in this situation. This is the first time in Genesis we see this symbol of someone tearing their garment. It was a sign of deep, intense mourning, overwhelming mourning. And that's this what he does. Reuben is truly distraught in this situation. Maybe he thought and saw his responsibility as an older brother, felt overwhelmed with that. Maybe he was thinking about having to go and tell his father, overwhelmed with that thought. His plan that he had all of this confidence in did not work. His plan had holes in it, and those holes were exposed. Joseph is gone. Now, it's clear that he doesn't realize that they've sold him because look what happens in verse 30. Returning to his brothers, he said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? He comes to his brothers, and he reports his discovery. And as he reports his discovery, reality, the reality strikes him of what's taken place. How can he tell his father about this? How can he face his father? How can he get rid of this guilt? He says, where shall I go? For him, life is over. He can't imagine reporting this to his father. This is the end for him. His plan didn't work. It fell through, and he's overwhelmed by this. So that's the cruel deal that takes place. Now look at the cover-up deception that is, takes place next in verse 31. It says, Then they took Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat, and they dipped the robe into the blood. So they dipped the robe. The brothers go back to their original cover-up plan that they did. Look up at verse 20. In verse 20 there, when they saw him coming, they said, We'll kill him. And we'll tell Jacob that a beast devoured him. So now that they've sold Joseph into slavery, they're going to restart that plan. And they're going to figure out how to tell Joseph that he was devoured by a beast. So they slaughtered a goat. And they took his robe that they had stripped off of him. And they dipped it in the blood of the goat. Now, Jacob would not think to call in the FBI or, or some forensic specialist. He would see the blood, and he would conclude that it was the blood of Joseph. So this was the perfect cover-up plan. They could pull this off. They could fool Jacob, and he would not know. Verse 32, they sent the robe of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and they said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Now notice verse 32 there as it begins. They sent the robe of many colors. How awful is that? They don't even go and tell Jacob the news. They send it with a messenger. 
they send the robe via a messenger to their father. And their father has to hear this news from a messenger. And they want Jacob to identify the robe. They don't even go to try and help comfort their father in this moment. They just send it on ahead. Verse 33, he identified it and he said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. And Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Cannot imagine the pain that he must have felt. Some of you have experienced that kind of pain, losing a child. Jacob is in that moment, that surreal moment. And he jumps to the conclusion that they want him to jump to. They laid and they baited this and they tried to cover this up and Jacob comes to the conclusion on his own. Can't imagine how that was on Jacob's heart when he heard the news of his son's passing and then thought about how tough and how cruel it was for his son to die in that manner. I've visited with people before and they've talked about loved ones passing and they've said, boy, you know what? He, he passed away quickly or she passed away quickly. So that does give me peace of heart. They didn't suffer long. I can imagine that this just added to Jacob's pain, thinking of what his son would have gone through, how heart-wrenching this must have been for Jacob. Notice how Jacob responds in verse 34. Then Jacob tore his garments, and he put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for his son many days. Jacob also tears his garment. He puts on sackcloth, which was a symbol of great mourning, and he mourned for a number of days. Jacob has lost his favorite wife, Rachel, and now Jacob has lost his favorite son, Joseph, who was the son of Rachel. And so Jacob is in this spot of, of great mourning. And it says in verse 35, all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. His children tried to comfort him, but we see just how great his pain and his mourning was. The only escape that he sees from this time of mourning, the only comfort that he can find is the thought that one, too, he, one day he too will die. And that's the only time that things will be better. There would be no comfort for him in this time of mourning. And boy, as we read this, as we think about Jacob's heart, as we think about all that went on with, with Joseph's sons, and, or Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, and how all of this came back, boy, it just leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And we just, uh, man, this is, this is heavy stuff here. Why did I get up and come to the 9 o'clock service? I could have slept in and came to the 1045 to get this kind of treatment. But look at verse 36. Meanwhile, 
Isn't that an awesome thing? Meanwhile, this is like that old Western show uh, when you got the narrator in the background and you see something happening that's discouraging and then you hear, meanwhile, back at the ranch. And it's kind of exciting because you know something else is happening. You know, there's, there's a detail that's not in the midst of this difficulty that there's going to be victory even though there's defeat, we're going to win. It's, there's that, that moment of excitement here as we think about that. And that's what we see here in verse 36. Meanwhile, everything was hopeless there with Jacob, and, and it was a cloudy day and lots of rain. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Moses here lets us know that Joseph's story doesn't end being sold into slavery. His story's not over. Slavery's not the ideal outcome, but God is still working. God is still moving towards his plan. Meanwhile, Joseph was sold to Potiphar. And we get this little subtle hint here of what that means being sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. He wasn't just sold to anybody. He wasn't sold to Joe Blow that lives down the road, sold to some guy. We get this detail that he was sold to Potiphar. We see where Potiphar works. He was an officer of the Pharaoh. You see those details there? God still is watching out for Joseph. Moses knows that God is watching for Joseph, and he gives us those details. You know, we oftentimes go through difficulties, and sometimes as we look in the world, we can be one of those stats that just gets looked over. You know what? One of ten people, and we're the one. And when we read the stat in the newspaper, it means nothing to 100% of the people except for those who are closest to us. And they read that one out of 10 people and we say, you know what, I know that one person. That person is not just a statistic. That individual is a person. That individual is a loved one. And as we look at this, we see that Joseph was sold in Egypt, to Potiphar, the officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You see, even through all of this, God still has his eye on Joseph. Even though he was in the pit, even though he's been now sold into slavery, God still has his eye on Joseph. God is still working his own plan in spite of Jacob, in spite of Jacob's sons, God is still working his plan. Joseph is right where God wants him, in Egypt. Potiphar's house, right where he needs to be. So there you have it. The cruel deal and the cover-up deception. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what does this mean to us today as we sit here today? Uh, I really don't think we can get away from Genesis 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God is in control of all things. God created all things. God controls all things. God owns all things. Sometimes we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? Here I am in the pit. Here I am just getting sold into slavery. But you know what? God is still in control. God is still God. That's plain and simple. And as we look at this story here, we see that God is still in control. You know, as we look at this story, we see Joseph's brothers and how indifferent they are to Joseph's pleas. They don't care about being fair to Joseph. They just want to get rid of Joseph. They're just worried about themselves, tired of him being the one, the chosen child. They're tired of that. They're indifferent to Joseph's feelings. You know what? We live in a world that's indifferent to us. I mean, this world may pretend that it cares for us, but you know what? There comes a time when we realize that the world doesn't care. You know, we pour ourselves into our jobs. We, give our, we live for our work. Something happens to us. Within a week, someone else is sitting at our desk with their nameplate. They won't even keep our nameplate. That's how indifferent the world is to us. Uh, I remember as a senior in high school, just being the man, you know? I mean, just having that position, popular and everything else, graduate and come back. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Aren't you Darla's brother? My whole identity lost, gone. And that's how the world is. You know, we may live our hundred years, but then there's going to come that time when the only thing that remembers that we were here is just a grave marker out behind the church. You know, we'll be forgotten. But you know what? The world may be indifferent to us, but God will never abandon us. God will never abandon us. The world may forget about us, but God never will. We live our whole lives sometimes just seeking to make our mark in this world when it really doesn't matter. Someone's going to come along with an eraser pretty soon. The one we need to be living for is God. He's never going to abandon us. It's so amazing as we think about that. The God of the universe cares for us. Sometimes we look at our neighbors and they could care less. They really wouldn't mind if we moved. <laughs> but God, God cares for us. And you know what it says in Romans 5, verse 8, that God has demonstrated his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loves us. No greater love is there than one lay down his life for his friend. Jesus Christ did that for us. That's how much God loves us. As I look at this and as I'm reminded of this, meanwhile, I'm reminded that God is in complete control. At just the right time, God caused the Ishmaelites and the Midianites to come by. Just the right time as they're on their way to Egypt, 
where Joseph would need to be to save all of Israel, they take him there. It wasn't a caravan on their way to Greece where they would have no choice. They wouldn't be able to help. They were on their way to Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world then. God would take all of Israel, place them in the womb of Egypt where Egypt would protect them until they grew from 70 people into a nation of 3 million people. And it would be Joseph that would protect them to bring them there. God was in complete control. And as I look at the story of Joseph, as I see that we still have a long ways to go in the book of Genesis, God's plan does not finish. Meanwhile, God is still at work. Sometimes we, we wonder what God's plan is in our life. But you know, we have to remember Joseph and remember God's plan is still moving forward. Joseph's brothers couldn't stop God's plan. Joe Blow down the road can't stop God's plan. All of those who are trying to stop God's plan, including Satan, will never stop God's plan. God's plan will unfold. It's his story. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to look into your word. And Father, I'm so grateful that we've had this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that as we go out, as we carry on our day, that we would be mindful that you are in control. Father, we're so grateful for who you are, so grateful for your son and all that we have because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This week, as we pause at 9 o'clock each night and spend some time in prayer, let's give thanks. Let's think on the thought that God doesn't abandon us. You know, sometimes we think about all of the things that are happening in our world, all of the things that are happening in our lives. We think about us being in the pits and being in slavery and how awful it is. But let's be grateful this week as we pray that God does not abandon us. God will never abandon us. God's plan will unfold perfectly.